Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Forum Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Merrill, and today we have a uh, writer of the series, uh, Star Bastard, Bet Noir, and Damsel from Distress. It's Andrew Clemson. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good. How are you doing? A little bit all right. Um, so uh, what have you been up to? I know it's late there. You're, um, you're in Dubai, so. Yes, yeah, uh, about... 10 hours ahead of you, I think. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is always the way when I'm doing podcasts, it's kind of someone's getting out of bed and someone's going to bed, but uh, <laughs> it's doing all right for me. But I'm I'm uh, isolating at the minute. I got pinged, got mm. got the positive result. After two years of dodging it, I got the uh, got the COVID. So I'm stuck mm-hmm. in a room away from everyone. And luckily I've got podcasts to do to keep yeah. me entertained. So that's good. I imagine you're also getting a lot of like writing to, or maybe you're not, I don't know, maybe you're tired <laughs> of it, but. Well, I have. Um, I did, uh, it was the first thing, you know, it's always a struggle to find time to get into, you know, get into the zone and stuff, especially when you've got kids and family mm-hmm. and stuff. But that was the sort of first thing, you know, you think, well, I'm going to be stuck in a room. Great. I can get some writing done. So mm-hmm. I actually managed to, you know, I've been stuck in here about three days now. I got, uh, the last two issues of Damsel scripted, so they'll go off to edit. Um, I've got some, uh, fine tuning to a, a graphic novel script, uh, that I've been working on. So yeah been been some good productive time so far yeah no i mean that's kind of what i did with my um i I teach and Mm -hmm. so the last thursday last thursday and friday we were out of school because um the covid numbers were too high and basically we Mm -hmm. had too many people too many staff members out that it wasn't feasible to continue so i like but i had to be at school so i mean don't tell my boss but for a little bit i was in there just drawing on my ipad and i got like two or three pages (laughs) done just in those two days at work, not counting what I did at home. And so I was like, I felt super accomplished. So I guess there is That's one right better. side to it. Yeah. You're getting paid to do that as well. So exactly. Yeah. I got paid. I will say the first, the Thursday, I did spend the first, like the whole morning <clears throat> doing like, basically I had to make guided notes for my kids. So basically I had to go through the whole chap, whole like unit of the book and page by page, write down things. So I did do a little bit of work. It wasn't like I just completely <laughs> wasted my time. Great. But um, yeah, so like I said, you you're you've written um, three big series. Uh, I'm not. I don't know about big. I mean, three series. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, so why don't you go ahead and start by giving us a little bit about um, you and your origin in terms of comics and in terms of writing? Um, yeah. So I've done I've done three series. I've done a bunch of stuff, you know, like everyone does anthologies and shorts and all that kind of stuff. But I I did, um, the first one I did was a book called Star Bastard, which uh, we kickstarted and then it got picked up and it was through Scout Comics, who at the time were, you know, quite a small outfit. And now they're, you know, Mm -hmm. they're everywhere. Every every month you see they've got like five or six new books. So they're getting uh, massive now. But uh, we put that out through them. And then... uh, I've been working on a series called Damsel from Distress, which is a kind of um, comedy uh, Dungeons and Dragons meets James Bond, Man from Uncle uh, type series. That's on Kickstarter at the minute and uh, not at the minute, but, you know, it's in the middle of funding the the volume. Uh, And the other series uh, I'm working on is a book called Bet Noir, which is a sort of, you know, more straightforward um, superhero-esque book. Um, It's kind of... uh, you know, channeling some Dark Knight Returns. It's a mm-hmm. revenge story set in a world where people wear their underpants on the outside of their trousers. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call Bet Noir as straightforward exactly, but... um, No, but it's the closest yeah, to... Yeah, it is. Uh, no, you're right. I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I read... Um, <clears throat> I had actually backed Bet Noir a while ago, 
and oh, okay. it's one of those that I kind of it's one of those I got into a kick of backing a lot of Kickstarters no pun intended and yeah. I um that's one of the ones I backed and I kind of forgot about it and then when you <laughs> sent it to me I was like oh he wrote this and I hadn't read them yet because I always wait for the physical copies <laughs> to come in and yeah. so I read them and I was like I, I don't know I was I didn't I didn't at first I was I was a little confused as what was happening but it's it was really it's really intriguing like it's the mystery is really good about it but um yeah so I, I mean that one is it's uh, most of the time the stuff I do it's more um comedy than mm -hmm. uh drama or you know there's not as much yeah. seriousness in it but that one was the you know you try and bounce between stuff you're working on you want to do something different every time mm -hmm. and uh you know grew up reading superhero books so I thought I'd uh you know try my hand at one but it is like you say it's it's something where there's reveals at the end of the first volume and you know i'm trying to lay stuff down now so that hopefully once you get to the end of the first volume you'll be able to go back and, and read mm -hmm. things and it'll be a lot richer but yeah um, I mean, yeah it's my attempt to be clever that book <laughs> no it's good i was under the impression that um just because the kickstarter that i backed was for the first three issues so i was under the impression yeah. that that was that that was the whole series that you were going to go three but then i got to the end of the third one that you sent me and i was like oh no there, this isn't anywhere close to done <laughs> No, there's, um, I guess everyone, me especially, is kind of, I mean, I, I tend not to buy singles now. I tend to mm. wait for the trade, um, which is not a great thing to suggest for a writer to, yeah. to tell people to wait for the trade because you need those sales. But um, yeah, there's there's uh, five issues in the first volume and hopefully two volumes, and that should be the, the story. Mm. Um, I sort of got away from that uh, rookie mistake of expecting everything to last you know 50 issues 60 yeah. issues mm -hmm. so everything everything i start tends to be condensed down yeah. further and further and further star wars number six mm -hmm. um probably could have done it in three um benoit would be five damsels five mm -hmm. um and i think that's a nice nice number for a, for a trade for a single volume i mean a lot of publishers i think you pitch them they want even less than that you know three or four for a mm -hmm. volume is a safer bet for them to put to market but um but I'm not not good enough yet to to trim the whole story down into <laughs> into four issues. So I'll make do with five. Yeah, no, um, for sure. But that that actually brings me to a question that I had was how um, as a writer, how do you decide like the length of a story? Like, how do you decide whether you want to um, publish in single issues or as just a single graphic novel? Um, how do you kind of decide what fits each story? I think, <clears throat> I think, you know, there's different answers depending on which avenue you're taking, right? But I think they all boil down in one shape or form to the cost. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, if you're putting it on Kickstarter or, you know, crowdfunding platforms, you, you're, you're not relying on a publisher, you know, you are going to make those money, th those page rates back, but you've still got to hit a target. So it's kind of, you know, am I going to ask people for this much money or am I going to ask people for this much money? And, mm -hmm. you know, even though for these two projects in particular, we know they're going to be at least five issues and hopefully more than that. Um, it's a lot to ask people to, to output that money on a book they don't know anything about. So for us, it was better to, you know, put out um, two or three campaigns, mm -hmm. And then you know you could you can let people test the waters you know it's not it's not a huge trade all at once which is a huge amount of money to pay you know in terms of art and printing and all that kind of stuff but um i think the other the other question when you're talking about how long a project is or what <clears throat> you know what format it takes is 
how meaty is your story? You know, have you got a, a, enough there for a one shot? Because if if you've got a, a a graphic novel that could be told in twenty four pages, mm-hmm. you're better. It's better for everyone yeah. that you tell it in twenty four pages because you can get that thing out. And you know, maybe maybe that thing exists then as a proof of life um, that you can pitch to a larger project. Mm-hmm. But um, get it out, have the thing exist, and then uh, you've got energy and time to focus on other things. I mean, that's definitely um, kind of what I, I mean, that's kind of the the thing that I've gone with is um, with the comics that I've written so far that I've published have been, um, have been one shots just because I, yeah. I don't have, I, I'm not a big fan of, I was literally thinking about this this morning is like, I'm not, I don't think that floppies <clears throat> are really super, they're difficult financially, you know? And so oh, yeah. I was just like, it's kind of just tell the story and the if you you don't need to tell a full like i don't know i uh, binging is kind of a big thing now so i was just thinking today that i feel like you know single ish like one shots or like a graphic novella or a full trade just a graphic novel are all like those are kind of the ideal for me i think i think everyone would like to do graphic novels right like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm working on one at the minute which you know we're pitching about and i think it's the best thing i've done and it's a complete departure there's not a single fart joke in it Mm-hmm. So it's completely different to everything else I've done, but um, you know that you need to have certain dominoes fall into place, and one of them is you've you've got an artist. That artist either has to be paid a full page rate, or they have to be a full collaborator who believes in the project and is willing to invest their time in it because they believe in it. Um, though you know those are both very difficult situations to find, mm-hmm. you know. So. Um, the the ideal world i think i mean this is something scout <clears throat> were we're trying which is a you know you put out a single issue as a like i say as a proof of life it's a it's good for the you know people can test out the story um you know speculators get their first issue they can put in plastic all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but then you jump straight to a trade and then you don't get those uh you know the, the issue two and three and four uh sales fall-offs which are never mm-hmm. good yeah so um you know i think i think the the key is is being able to will your story down into as short a format as possible mm-hmm. unless you're an artist and then you can go for broke you can do whatever yeah. you like exactly it's just your time isn't it so yeah um and so that like that kind of does segue segue me you're talking about um finding an artist and things and so that's one of the mm-hmm. questions that i had was how um not just an artist but how do you go into choosing a artist and or and and a letterer for a story like how do you decide like hey this is the person that has the feel i want especially i'm especially interested when it comes to lettering because lettering is something that um isn't always you know noticed as much so yeah. i mean how what, how do you what do you, what went into your decision making for some of these books so i mean lettering in particular is one of these things it's like um it's often a thing people think of last, right? You get your mm-hmm. you get your art, and that's the thing. And then you see these books, which are they're great looking, and then they got terrible lettering. Yeah. And you just think it's such a shame because, in the grand scheme of things, that was one of the lower cost, you know, elements of the book compared to everything else. And yeah. you, you know, should have just spent a bit more money. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I work in in TV as a day job, and it's you know we do these these you know corporate film and things like that as well, like you get things where they'll scrimp and save on certain aspects. And one of those will usually be sound, you know, mm-hmm. you do news and they expect the cameraman to do everything. And you just, mm-hmm. you, you can look at a, 
a slightly out of focus picture and your brain will process it, but bad mm -hmm. sound yeah. is just, you, you can't deal with it. And, and lettering is the same thing. It's something which is so key to the, to the overall readability of a book and, and, and how people process that information that, you know, I think, I think people often overlook it. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I was lucky I've, I've used, um, I've used uh, the same editor for two of my books on Bette Noir and uh, Starbusted. We had a guy called, uh, he goes by HDE, that's mm -hmm. all uh, non diploma, but um, he, he's fantastic. He's a guy from the UK. Um, and then for Damsel, I really wanted to work with um, Hassan Otsman mm -hmm. Alhau. Yeah. Um, I think everyone, I mean, it looks like he's doing every book under the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Him and um, Aditya Bideker. Oh yeah, I mean he's, They're both doing he's on everything. my list as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I had Hass doing the editing on Damsel, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, it's great. I can just get him to do the editing and the lettering, and then you know he knows exactly. You know it, it, he's on board from the beginning of the process, and he can work things in that might work for that. But um, I, I think lettering is kind of you. You read it like the same as art. You read something, you like the lettering, you look it up, you see if they're available. You, you get them on board your project art art is a bit more subjective i think and mm -hmm. um again you see people there's some projects and you think mm, i think maybe if they went with a slightly different artist this would have been an absolutely world-class book but they've gone for the wrong vibe or or something <laughs> like that i mean i i've gone both ways where i have had a had a, a book and i've found an artist for that book and then i've i've also found artists you know, found something cool they'd done, kept their name in a in a file somewhere, and then, you know, tried to write something that's uh, suited mm. those artists. Um, so I get, I guess, you know, again, everyone works differently. Yeah. But um, I've I've worked both ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of sounds like for uh, the kind of what <laughs> you're saying is that for artists, you're choosing, you're looking at more of a style, and for lettering, you're looking for a a person like you're looking at more of the the letterer themselves i don't know if that makes sense but like because i don't know the way i see a letterer is like someone who can like adapt to fit whatever the art is their lettering kind of has to mesh it has to flow with the same art style and so you need a letterer yeah. who can adapt but art is kind of you need someone who has the style you're looking for for that book well also you think of how the two people work like i when i'm writing scripts they're quite um sparse i guess like i don't i don't put a lot of um heavy you know alan moore panel descriptions mm -hmm. in there I, I have like just an ocd thing where i like a page of script to stick to a page so i'll you know i only put in there what i think is important and you know i like to keep those scripts as lean as possible because it helps people read them for pacing you know you not you haven't got all of these descriptions that take away from how that book should be read um so for me, I like to give the artist the room to just do whatever they like, like Jethro on Starbusted, sometimes he'd take, you know, move the panels around or get rid of one or add one. And that's great. Like, that's not what I do. So as long as the key stuff's in there, but the letter I think has to stick a bit more strictly to what you've put on the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a, like you say, it's a different skill. It's, um, it's adapting something mm -hmm. which is relatively concrete into quite a fluid medium. Whereas the artist, you know, just that's what artists don't yeah, do quite often exactly what they want. uh that, that that is one advantage that i've had because i'm trying to learn to letter and so lettering my own stuff it's very it's good because 
I can edit the script. I can edit the script as I go. So like, if I find a bubble that's like too big, I'm like, this is too big. I can't fit this here. I just, I can cancel out a whole section of dialogue. So I'm like, I don't need it. And it doesn't look good. And I can do that. Cause you know, I'm in charge of that whole process, but yeah, with someone else, like if I'm lettering someone else's story, I was doing it recently and I was really struggling to fit things in. And I'm like, I don't have that same freedom to just chuck out this whole section. Yeah. And so it's a whole, it is a different uh, thing. But it's good though. You know, that's ahead. one thing people have said. If you're as a writer, if you're able to, you know, if you can't draw, mm -hmm. um, if you can letter, you know, that's one less thing you have to worry about having to pay for and, you know, or take the stress off of someone else to do. Um, but again, for me, I've, I've always been, you know, of the frame of mind where if someone else can do it properly, I'd rather they did it than me mm -hmm. do it half as well as mm -hmm. it could be done. So yeah. it's more, it's more, you know, but it's more less work for me, but more of a, you know, financial issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's work in a different way, but yeah. I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other, because like you said, there, there are pros and cons to both of them because, you know, it's everything you already said. Um, so you've done, all of these projects have come from Kickstarter originally, <laughs> correct? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I don't know. How, I don't know how much I want to actually get into. I know I said I wanted to ask about it, but I don't know how much I want to get into the whole Kickstarter blockchain thing. Because, well, I mean, how much do you um, in, with these things? How much of a say do you have? Because you're putting a lot of these books through different publishers, you know, or they're getting picked up. So is it up to you? Yeah, I mean, they, they are all everything I'm doing you know these these two that are ongoing and then the, the other stuff that's in different stages it's all signed to different people mm -hmm. down the pipe but um you know the 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 money you make from the direct market is not a fraction of what you will make from crowdfunding and mm -hmm. and people need to get paid right it's mm -hmm. it whether whether you're paying someone to produce a product or whether you're collaborating and someone's booked their time in they have to be remunerated for that time or you know the work they're doing so I have basically said, unless there's a, unless there is an advance, everything will be crowdfunded first. And that's something that has to be agreed before a contract and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, now, unfortunately, <clears throat> when it comes to crowdfunding, there's not a huge amount of places you can go to unless you're mm -hmm. a superstar name, right? Yeah. Um, and of those, you've, you, you know, everyone does Kickstarter. There's Indiegogo, which is a very different crowd that, you know, mm -hmm don't want to get into and but, there, i mean there's um, my there's talk of like you know indiegogo announced they're changing their policy as far as they're going to actually review campaigns so there they? is that's the, yeah this is the thing it's it, yeah exactly they're making money and it that platform in particular you know mm -hmm. it I, has I, a, I, I haven't got any in, experience with them firsthand but mm -hmm. they have from what i can see they're making money they don't care what's going on it and, and yeah. you've got that policy of whatever you make you keep and and mm -hmm. you can't yeah <laughs> like you set a target, you know, I set targets for Kickstarter, I make them, we yep. go over them. And then you find out you still not got enough money. So yeah. some of it's still coming out yeah. of your pocket, right? Mm -hmm. You know, every time postage change and all this kind of stuff. So so the danger in someone sets themselves a $10,000 goal, and they make 5000, they keep it, oh, we'll promise you we'll finish it, they don't, you know, yeah. and even the ones that do, you know, they keep the money and you never see the book or whatever. And I've never backed a book on, on Indiegogo, just mm -hmm. because 
the 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 good stuff seemed to be on Kickstarter, yeah. mm -hmm. and I I you know their platform was weird anyway. You know they've yeah. got no app. They've got anyway. That's that. You've got Kickstarter. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so you, you need these places, and as much as I understand the the problem with the text stuff that was announced, and mm -hmm. I think at the minute until they prove to be problematic it's our only option at the minute really realistically speaking in terms of foot traffic and things like that and having said that there's you know this this other platform zoop and we've spoken to them about moving a project over there so we will be launching one of the books on zoop um that's obviously we were supposed to have something launching in february and that's pushed it down a couple of months while we rejig everything but you know i think um i think people are I don't know. It's a it's a personal decision whether you mm -hmm. can continue to fund on there. Um, for me, I I'm going to continue to fund on Kickstarter until until there is something concrete about what's going on, and if that is something which is a deal breaker, mm. you know. Unfortunately, yeah. everything. I know it's a terrible thing to say, but everything is block. You know, everyone's got yeah. a quote unquote blockchain project or development yeah. or something, you know, Twitter, mm -hmm. Facebook, they've all been doing it for years. So, um, you know, I hope people will continue to support the books that do go on these platforms mm -hmm. um, until there's a viable alternative, at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is a good point that a <clears throat> lot of people get are getting caught up in the, you know, the whole aspect of, you know, it's blockchain, it's terrifying, terrible, we can't do it, we can't support this, can't support this, but you mm -hmm. do have a ton of creators like yourself who, need kickstarter and kickstarter like you yeah. said is pretty much the only viable platform because the downside that i see to zoop is that zoop is comic specific and kickstarter yeah. is universal so anybody anybody with any project can see your thing on kickstarter you know so there's well, a lot more cross traffic yeah That's, exactly this is the problem it's, it's if you look at the i think every kickstarter creator will tell you that you, you look at your your traffic numbers at the end of a campaign mm -hmm. And a huge number yeah. of those, you know, 40%, 50% of them just come from the discover function on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and they've got an existing user base. Obviously, new people sign up all the time. But yeah. that's something, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a book on Zoop and see how it works. And they're nice guys. You know, I spent ages talking to them about it. But it's, um, you know, it's not going to hit the numbers that Kickstarter does, at least not for the time being. So yeah. for the ones where you need to make money, unfortunately, mm -hmm. Kickstarter yeah and i mean like you said it is a balancing act because people you know people need to remember that there are people who are relying on this and people who may have already had their campaign like ready to go and oh yeah now they then like things got turned around and now they don't know what to do and but they still have to run their campaign so you know 100%. still yeah it's difficult and but see, go ahead see what they do you know like it could be anything like i say these other companies have had this stuff for years and people haven't even noticed if they start implementing you know, cryptocurrency or NFTs or, you know, any of this stuff, see you later. Like mm -hmm. you can't, you know, that's a very different situation, but as far as I can tell, those go against their terms of service anyway, mm -hmm. you know, they're not allowed to operate in financial instruments. Whereas again, you can on Indiegogo. Yeah. That's a, that's the, another difference. Anyway, very, yeah. very sore subject. <laughs> no, yeah, you're good. Um, I can tell. Um, so I, I do want to ask about what the process is like for, of going from Kickstarter, because um, with with these books, were they when you first started, were they like Star Bastard was the first of the three big things you have out so far? Um, that, that was the was only the thing I'd done at the time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's I, I just um, 
you know, I'd always wanted to do comics when I was a kid. Um, I almost went to uni in the States, actually, weirdly enough, mm-hmm. to the uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. We were going down and look at it like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I almost went there and then gave it up, did animation and film art. Um, and, and I had uh, had a, a friend of mine from high school passed away 2015. And I had one of those things like, well, shit, I could die tomorrow. So yeah. I'm going to give this a go. Wrote the thing. I, I've done a bunch of serious stuff and it wasn't going anywhere. And I did that one, which is a very jokey mm-hmm. It's a, it's a sort of parody of, you know, 90s machismo, sort of those sort of comics. But um, I did this one just as a joke, sort of three or four pages of script. And the artists I was talking to were like, yeah, I'll do this. This seems fun. So we did that as one. And it was just supposed to be one issue, you know, we're on a cliffhanger. But I mm. just wanted one issue to exist. Um, mm. And then Scout picked it up. So I was like, ah, crap. Now... I've just written this as one issue and I have to sort of make you know, a whole volume of it. Yeah. You, you can tell, you know, it's, it is a, it's a fun book and I enjoy doing mm-hmm. it, but it's, it was, you know, I winged all the way through that. It was written issue to issue with no mm-hmm. plot. Yeah. So um, it's uh, very different the way we work now. To yeah. Work so we're, we're, we're Bette Noir and um, uh, Damsel from Distress, were they with a, with a publisher before the Kickstarter or? Um, so Bet Noir was a was weirdly was the first one I started writing. That was the serious one. And there's yeah. at least in the Kickstarter edition of Starbusters in the back, I did a letters page, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what was in the books I read growing up and stuff. Yeah. And um, it said, you know, I tried to write this sort of hundred issue magnum opus, Dark Knight Watchmen book, um, and it you know it wasn't going anywhere, so I packed it in. But then after after we put Starbusters out, I made you know some friends, other writers and stuff, and I met a chap called Matt Hardy, uh, who's a writer in the UK, and he he agreed to come on as the editor. And he, you know, cut all the chaff, whittled it down, and we made it into a very different book. Um, and uh, it, it was a lot better for it. And then we, we put one of those out, and that got picked up. Um, I mean, we haven't announced it's been picked up, but um, uh, I don't think it'll hurt our, our, our Kickstarters. But, no doubt. Um, and Damsel was, yeah, before the... Before there was any art, mm-hmm. that was um, that was picked up. So before before we get into the um, um, more the actual, I want to talk some about some of the actual stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I want to take a break. But before we take a break, I want to ask one more question about kind of the publishing creative <clears throat> side. Um, mm-hmm. How what's that process like of being picked up by a publisher? Like, so do they just see? did you reach out to them or did they just see it and they were like, Hey, we want this. Um, how does that look as far as the, the process? And without, obviously I don't want, you don't want to go too into like the, the weeds, but as far as the process and like the contract, as far as, are you like, do you, is, I don't know if scout is scout. I don't know if scouts creator owned or what, but what's that yeah. process like? So scout, you know, for, for Starbucks, I can talk about scout, but like um, their, their contract is actually, I mean, one of the best, if not the best I've seen from the people I've spoken to, it's a hundred percent, you own everything, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they're big on media and IP and all this kind of stuff, but it's purely a, you still own all of that. They just negotiate mm-hmm. the deals and they take a cut of anything you, you do, but you still retain all the rights, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a big, you know, it's a big thing. People want to, to own everything. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, it was, you know, it's good in that respect. And they're good. Um, they're very good because they allow you to kickstart stuff, you know, that they're, they're not averse to picking up a successful book that's already been crowdfunded, you know, whereas some of the other publishers would be like, well, I'm not touching it. It's already been out, you know, it's mm. not. And those markets, are they're miles apart. You know, you can't, you're not cannibalizing your sales. You know, you do a good Kickstarter, you'll do, we did a thousand people pretty much on the last damsel one. That's really good numbers for a Kickstarter campaign. But, you know, that's that's nothing compared to a, a, a you know, half decent sale to the direct market. Yeah. You know, you could do, you know, 10,000 copies to the direct market and those thousand people probably don't even wouldn't even know it was on shelves. You know, you got mm-hmm. people that just back Kickstarter books. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's what I mean. I was just thinking about this yesterday because I'm planning a relaunch of a Kickstarter that wasn't successful last year, and okay. so I'm, I'm looking at the like numbers and things and the actual numbers of people who back Kickstarters, like on average, because I'm I'm big into like numbers and things, and mm-hmm. so for like for my first one, I don't my book's over there. I'm not going to get it out, but like I went into and looked at because it's an anthology so i looked at all of the um like not all of them but like probably 10 anthologies that were on kickstarter found the average um the price and the pay average pages and i averaged out and so the average price per page is this much that means ours should be about this much money and every the Mm -hmm. average number of backers is this many and every backers average averaging every every backer is paying about this much averaging about this much money and a lot of that information is crap and doesn't matter but it right. helped with me just to kind of understand i think and i had to try not to get too analytical about it but it just the amount of you know the average kickstarter for an anthology like the one i was running had about i think 200 backers but then you yeah. think about how many comic book shops are in the u.s alone and then mm-hmm. how many of those not all of them are gonna you know buy your indie um buy something from scout because like i know one near me i was looking for a book from vault and they oh, yeah, don't yeah, support great books yeah. yeah but they don't they don't that shop didn't um doesn't buy anything other than marvel dc image and like dark a couple other big ones you know they don't do yeah. some of the smaller ones so yeah. even discounting small shops like that by going by being in the direct market you're reaching so many more people because there are <laughs> like literally thousands of shops you know across the country yeah. just in the u.s alone that are willing to support that and so the numbers are just so different when you actually get down to like looking at the amount of people that each Kickstarter campaign notices, you know? Yeah. I mean, the way, the way I've explained it to people in the past is we use Kickstarter to fund the book and create the book and get everyone paid. And then the, the the direct market thing is purely um, advertising. It's getting your book in front of people. You know, you, you know, people have read your book, which is great. And, you know, it gets your name out there and hopefully, moves you up a peg for the next thing you put out or you know you know hopefully you get seen and you get some work for hire or something like that kind of thing so i think they serve very different purposes Mm -hmm. um but you know i'd be happy if the thing exists i could put it on my shelf and people read it that's and you know we're not twenty thousand dollars out of pocket yeah that's the goal exactly um so like i said i want to take a real quick break and then we'll Mm -hmm. be back and i want to talk a little bit more about some of the um ins and outs of actually writing some of these books. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll be right back. Valkyrian is here in March of 2022. If you follow us on any of our social media, you probably know that Valkyrian is coming. And if you didn't, you're hearing it now. Valkyrian is the story of Emmy, the latest in a long line of soldiers, and now a member of Odin's covert op squad, the Valkyries. 
When she and her team are sent to stop a government takeover, Emmy is forced to ask herself how far she's willing to go to follow orders and what it means to be a Valkyrie. Valkyrian is a sci-fi action comic by me, Kyler Merrill, and colorist Eros Donardi, coming from Foreign Press Comics. But here's the big news. Printed copies of Valkyrian are exclusively available for pre-order in March of 2022. After that, there might be some extra print copies, but we can't guarantee anything. So if you want a printed copy, get it now. And you can find it today at forumpresscomics.com slash Valkyrian. All right. And we're back. So, um... Like I said, I want to talk about the creation of some of these books. And so you mentioned before that you kind of, Star Bass is the first one you put out, but you were working on Bet Noir and you had it yeah. called your uh, magnum opus or you you were kind of <laughs> writing it that way. And you thought of it that way in your head. And so- Yeah, um, everyone thinks they're the next Alan Moore, yeah. right? Everyone yeah. thinks, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you know, I did, I had no clue. I'd come off the back of reading, you know, reading X-Men since I was a kid and thinking you know this must be easy yeah um and then you you know once you've been in it for a while you realize how the indie comic scene works and every, you know it changes what you yeah. do right i mean every, I, like everybody has that where they're like oh i read you know i can i can be chris claremont like why not you know it's yeah. not that hard come on anybody can do that i can be denny o'neill whatever um <laughs> anyway um so what exactly and i i want i believe i this is what i heard in an interview another interview i don't remember which one it was but that um it got a little bit difficult working on bet noir um so i mean what exactly made that story so difficult to write from the uh, when you were first um working on it so that that one like i say i i was like writing for things you know having read mm -hmm. these books that had run for years i was like this is going to be this thing where you read it for 20 issues 30 issues 40 issues and then you get this big payoff and you're like oh my god this guy's a genius look at the stuff he's been <laughs> peppering at the beginning of the story and all this nonsense mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it just it's so tiring I don't maybe it's just the way I write like it, it was just tiring because I was working to this very strict skeleton that I had to then sort of pad out and you know lay things out so that I could be clever later on and it just mm -hmm. it did nothing for me and I think it was suffering it's just stunted and it wasn't it wasn't an interesting book it was all over the place um but like I say that I did, um, I did like a little synopsis and a three page, uh, example of Starbuster just as a joke on a lunch break. Um, and I think the fact that I was having fun doing it helped, mm -hmm. you know, that came across and it was a, you know, it's not a serious book. It's, it's got talking alien fart clouds in it, but <laughs> it was, it was fun, you know, and everyone who, who I've spoken to has read it, enjoyed it, you know, it's, it's what it is. Um, and I think, um, I, I think I took some of that back to Bet Noir when, when Matt came aboard and we, we edited it down and changed what it was. We kept the good stuff and I was able to find something I enjoyed in it. And I wrote it for me as opposed to writing it so that someone else thought I was clever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a big turning point, uh, you know, in terms of how I write stuff. Not that I'm an expert at it, but, you know, that I, yeah. I enjoy the process of writing now and i think that's mm -hmm. why the books are better yeah um well and i i only really have one more question about um bet noir and I, I i don't know if there's an answer but uh just from like i said i looked up like I, I looked up several interviews from you uh with you from various places podcasts and things like that mm -hmm. and i found a lot talking about um star bastard and i found a lot talking about damsel but i didn't find a lot about you where you were you were never 
I never found a moment where you were like out there really promoting Bet Noir. So, I mean, is there a reason for that or it's, is it just because it wasn't picked up from the beginning? Well, well, Starbuster was out, right? That was mm-hmm. the one yeah. people were contacting, you know, this is a book through Scout. Let's talk about this one. Da, 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 yeah. and, it, and it did well. Um, Damsel and Bet Noir were purely crowdfunders up to this point. And it, the numbers are astronomically different on Damsel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So it was, and it's easier to talk about, right? It's an easy pitch of what it is. It's a, you know, a, a secret agent thing set in Dungeons and Dragons. It's yeah. fun, it's colorful. Um, Bet Noir, even though the way I described it is I've changed it. So I'm just having fun and it's not me being clever. There is a twist, which is such that I can't really give away the main, the main synopsis of the book without giving away the twist. Mm. I've okay. never figured out how to do it really. Um, so it's difficult for me to talk about the stuff that I think is really cool about it because we haven't got to that point yet. The end of the next issue, that will give away what the whole point of the story is. And then we get to just expand on it after that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's me. Uh, I'm not clever enough to write <laughs> clever stuff and be able to promote it without giving away the spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I it's just you. that, but you know, I, I do like talking about it. It's a great book. The mm-hmm. art is, uh, Chris is a fantastic artist. Um, he lives in Indonesia. Um, and you know, it's, I, you know, it just blows me away every time I get pages mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think when that's out as a volume, I think, I think it's going to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you say, people are into, to binging books now. And I think mm-hmm. that, that creeps into how people write stuff um and you know you're writing these things that can only really exist as trades and and for bet noir it's um again we wrote that first issue as a or, or put that you know compiled it condensed everything down into a first issue put it out intending for it to be a first issue but now with issue two and three we're looking at it as a sort of zero issue mm. um so that's kind of you know a setup and then the yeah. story really sort of begins with issue two mm-hmm. um so again, you know, we're learning as we go. <laughs> I, I, I lied. There's one other thing I wanted to mention about that book, but um, it's just a, I, I guess it's a compliment. I guess the, I did, I had a laugh moment where um, like I actually laughed a little bit more than just, you know, the typical nose laugh where you just like, when it, it was a little more than that. Um, Natural law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When um, uh, I think it's the second issue, maybe it's the third where um, Toxicant, I don't know if I'm saying is that his name? Oh yeah. Where the he's on the definitely sh- not Venom. Yes. Where he was yeah. on the the Tonight Show basically. And then yeah. like it was funny, you know, all this like he's I I used to eat people whatever. And but I laughed out loud when it got to the end. He's like, "Yeah, I'm here to so and who the host is like, "Okay, I'm here you're here to promote your new album." And I don't yeah. know that real that really got me. I don't know why, but See, see that's the thing though, like cuz cuz that's the thing. I like writing humor. So even something that dark, I think there still has to be elements of humor in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, as you can tell from that, there's a, all the characters in it, you describe them as, oh, this is definitely not Batman. Yeah. And this one's definitely not Superman. You know, it's it's poking fun and, you know, it's, it's relying on the fact you understand who these characters yeah. are based on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important. Some of the ridiculous ones, you, you know, they're ridiculous. Let's yeah. make a joke out of it. And I just thought, you know, a guy who is definitely not Venom having a, a acoustic country and Western album or something would be amazing. Yeah. I love that idea. 
Um, and so that that does segue me perfectly into um, uh, I I don't know how how to phrase this question, but how do you like you said your other two books, um, Star <clears throat> Bastard and Damsel, are both um, they're very comedic. So I mean I I don't I struggle with writing comedy or writing like things like that. I don't know. So how do you how do you how do you do that? I don't know how to phrase that question I, I better. So. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I don't know, you know, I can't say if it's if I do it well or not, but it's it's I think it's all down to to pacing comedy. It can be a, you know, pretty average joke, but we've got this visual medium. So as long as you've got an artist who can sell facial expressions and, you know, sell the slapstick stuff, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's it's a lot easier to do than drama mm-hmm. in, in for me in a comic you know, in the medium that we're working in. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just a case of having the story down there and then just, you can break up these moments of, of drama with a little joke and it just, it, you know, it, it hides a lot of, um, you know, it can hide a lot of things that, you know, you may be not too confident about and, uh, you know, add a joke, it breaks things up and move on mm. to the next page. Mm. No, uh, first, I think that that's definitely a, a good thing when you talk about the artist being a part of that, being a big part. So oh, like yeah. when you're doing the script, are you like, is there any moments where you're having to like clarify that like this is a joke, like, you know, so they don't misinterpret it or something? You know, because sometimes yeah, when you're I mean, just reading, it's hard to get that. So is there ever, have you ever had to do that and be like, hey, this is just so you know, like correct them or something? Not so much. I mean, all of the artists I've worked with, they've all been people uh i don't know about mauricio actually i mean none of them are from the uk none are from the states um mauricio and damsel he's from costa rica Mm -hmm. um and uh chris is from indonesia on Noir, and jethro is from the philippines um and i think honestly hands down the best artists in the world are coming from the philippines i don't know what it is over there but you just look at some of the people that are working for marvel at the minute in dc um I think that's that's an amazing pool that's not tapped yet. But mm-hmm. they're they're um, at least for Chris, it's English is not his first language. He does struggle with it, so I have to give him a lot of photo references, a lot of mood boards, a lot of videos, you know, to try and explain what things mean. And I tend to write stuff in. There's quite a lot of sort of British euphemisms and yeah. and jokes and things like that. So he he doesn't always get them, but sometimes. He misses a joke, plays it serious, and it's even funnier. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and Jethro is amazing at facial comedy and at expressions and stuff, which is why he was perfect for that book. Because mm-hmm. um, I think if you played that book too serious, it would have just been offensive. Yeah. Um, and Mauricio, his style is is very sort of Disney meets uh, manga. Um, so he just has that stuff nailed, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just perfect. But like I say, it's easy for you to write something, but if you don't have the right artist to, yeah. to deliver, um, you know, artist collaborator, then you, mm-hmm. you're screwed from the outset. You did touch on one of my um, notes. It's not really a question per se, but it's, it's one of my notes was that in a couple other interviews, you mentioned um, that you wanted, that you kind of saw, um, oh my gosh. What's his name? Star Bastard. What's his name? Oh, Jethro. No, the Greaves. Oh, Car- Greaves. There you go. Um, I was like, I know it starts with the G. Um, anyway, so you write, you you see him as Danny McBride, but that's yeah. really weird to me, considering 
it's weird because you put so many like um british like colloquial yeah. colloquialisms and things like that and then it's weird seeing all that stuff and then like arse and things like that and then but danny mcbride in my head so it's, and a, it's like it's a weird thing weird. it's it's it, obviously that's come from you know i read a lot of american yeah. stuff growing up but british people you are fed on mm -hmm. 2000 ad um you know it's, it's there is a there's an entire different culture of comics in the uk Mm -hmm. uh, and you know and, and a lot of the comedy a lot of the tv and the movies and stuff it's you know there's this whole other uh, other culture of stuff in the uk um and again you can tell i didn't have an editor on star bastard because someone would have picked up on why is he saying why does he sound american here and mm -hmm. why does he sound english here but you know it's just adds to the stupidness of the book and you know it's it's you know nothing in that book takes itself seriously yeah. so i think it works and I pitched that book um, when Scout contacted me and they said, what is this? You know, tell us more about it. I said, well, it's kind of like, did you ever see? No, because because they were like, yeah, this is great. But tell us more. You know, what's coming? Da, yeah. da, da, da. How would you how would you describe it? Give I us the you. elevator pitch, the whole thing. And um, I, I basically said, oh, do you ever see that show Eastbound and Down? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, it's kind of like Eastbound and Down in space. And it's no. just this guy that thinks he's something special, but because his attitude is that he's the best thing since sliced bread mm -hmm. he's just shit at everything yeah because he's so focused on being amazing that he just doesn't you know he's he's not mm -hmm. he's not applying himself as my yeah as my old teachers used to say mm -hmm. i mean i thought that was almost but like what i was saying i thought that was almost funnier to imagine danny mcbride talking in a really bad british Putting accent English, yeah but yeah, like amazing. really badly on purpose like i think that'd be really funny um, but so again, I'm, I'm like here he's banded down. Like yeah, you, you remember exactly. the bit in that with Will Ferrell, where he's sort of playing that weird guy, and he's, yeah, he's not great at accents yeah. either. But uh -huh. It's just these, and you just, I can't tell if he's doing the, a really shit job. Yeah, or is he doing I purpose? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, I, I don't know where to go from here because I have two different things, and we can segue into both of them equally easily. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, okay. So you just talked about um how you had all these different comic influences. And so um, I did want to talk about that. Um, like you mentioned that, you know, you had UK comics from in the UK. So what are there, um, what kind of um, UK comics were there that you were reading um, that were, you know, that were really influencing you? Well, I mean, <clears throat> to be fair, like we're influenced by you guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the America influences everyone, especially in mm -hmm. comics. And so I was getting um, first book I ever picked up weirdly enough was um it was one of the issues of Craven's Last Hunt which is a mm -hmm. weird weird first comic for like a you know an eight-year-old kid or whatever but I, I picked up that demolished those got into like X-Men you know and you know luckily a couple of years later was the big launch and then I got every X book and, and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff but you know in, everyone gets 2000 AD every week Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's it's a it's 2000 ad and there was like eagle and um it it was a different vibe whereas you guys i say you guys you know the american yeah. comics market is a it's these small little books that are 24 page you know predominantly it's it's one story mm -hmm. the one character you know continues or maybe doesn't but the english books tended to be anthology style you know you had these short things 2000 ad future shocks or you'd have a dread strip and you have all this kind of stuff um, and then you'd get annuals at the end of the year and all this kind of stuff. So it was, I'd say I, I read more American comics just purely for the amount of stuff they're there. But like I say, there's no uniform format 
to the stuff we would get in the UK. Um, you get these books called Commando, mm -hmm. which are like tiny little books. They're, they're like half the size of a regular comic, but and I think square as well, if I'm correct. And it's like one panel per page, you know, always about like World War Two stories and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, predominantly black and white books. I don't know if that's a, 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 a you know, cost thing or, or yeah. what but um although you'd usually get a color strip in the middle of a 2000 ad but you know it's it's um i think the the stuff you would get from the uk is much more cynical um it's a much more cynical and and downbeat look at at reality as opposed to you know spandex and superman and all that kind of stuff yeah um well do you think um, is there anything from that side of things that you think would could or you think would benefit comics if it was like picked up as a whole? Like, is there any aspect of some of those things that you think would help um, help that you wish more comics would do what, or something? Translate it into the market at large. I mean, I think a lot of it, if you look at the anthology style, you know, mm -hmm. the 2000 AD, we have lots of short strips. <clears throat> And people are picking it up more now. You know, you've got all the Kickstarter anthology boom. There's a new one every week, you know, a month to put on Kickstarter. But then you've got things like, um, I'm going to butcher his name, but James Tinian? Tinian? Tinian, I think. He, so he's put out this Razor Blades horror yeah. anthology, which is fantastic. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy format to do, but I think, um, you know, people in the direct market don't seem to, to, to embrace it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's perfect that it's found a home sort of in the crowdfunding scene. Um, but we, I mean, you know, we, we had, um, we had a, a UK imprint of Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in the UK. So we had, uh, you know, Captain Britain and uh, Knights of Pendragon and Motormouth. You know, we had, there was specific characters to that, which never, unfortunately, never made it to Marvel at large. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's some great stuff put out Marvel UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, 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 the only thing I really know from Marvel UK is um, Excalibur. I haven't read it, but I've, that's the only thing I'm really aware of. Well, Marvel that came through. Excalibur was Marvel, Marvel proper. That oh. was that was an American book. Oops. Um, yeah, <laughs> but Captain was Britain was it was uh, okay. You know, was a UK character. That was a Marvel UK thing. I think mm -hmm. that was, I think it was Chris Claremont. Maybe that's why I'm Claremont. thinking that. I don't know. I think he was born in the UK or grew up in the UK or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. But there was a whole there was a whole thing and you know we had you know they brought over some of the other characters like the black knight and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but you know just just sort of fizzled out yeah It'd be great if they brought it back mm -hmm. um i think that the things like that like the other day i saw on facebook or twitter or somewhere it was a or it might have been reddit it was a some spider-man comic from um like mexico i think or some latin american oh, country yeah. that was just like completely different than anything that yeah. was in the US and it was like I think I think the story was they would they started off translating them so they would mm -hmm. translate the American ones in Spanish but then I think they just continued on their own yeah I remember there being a thread and people like holy shit I need to get these books and see yeah. what happened and that's what I was yeah. I was looking I started to look up on on eBay I was like where can I find these like how much is this going to cost me fascinating but, yeah I had I had a book in when I was a kid um it was a French translation I think it was an X-Men book it was like an oversized book with like x-men and the high evolutionary and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it's all in french i think i still got it somewhere yeah. but you know it was great because i got to take it into french class 
Nice. Yeah. Rather than doing the textbooks, it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when when I went to I went to Mexico for a day with my friends when we were I was in California and I I stopped. They had on it just at a newsstand. They had um, a whole bunch of comic books, and so I got it was mm. it was some generic and some it was like Green Arrow Rebirth, like one of the newer ones. But I don't know. It was just I didn't I didn't care about like that series or anything. I was like, oh, that's cool. I have a Spanish comic. Now, yeah, just to have. But um, I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because a direct translation sometimes it doesn't you know mm-hmm. it won't have yeah. the same impact in another market. You know, we get arabic translations of marvel and dc here um and you know i think most people would rather read the english one you know where they what you really need is localized content yeah from these places you know mm-hmm. here arabic books was you know from this region or you know hopefully spanish books from mexico and stuff yeah. like that um so i i just have a couple more comments about um some of the actual books um that mm-hmm. you've written um and a lot of these aren't um, really questions. I have one question, then I have just some other ones that are just comments that I guess you, you can right. um, give your input to. But the last, the last real question I have is um, Damsel from Distress, it combines a lot of different genres. It's, it's um, a bit of a spy, James Bond, Dean book, and it's also yeah. very Dungeons and Dragons. So how do you balance those two? I mean, it's, it's I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm more well-versed in the, the Bond side of things you know i've never played a game of dungeons and dragons in my life um as much as i would like to mm-hmm. um i used to play warhammer when i was growing up again you know it's a it's a very different vibe warhammer 40k mm-hmm. is one of the most depressing things in existence um but um i think again it's just picking and choosing the bits you like and throwing them together and and see what sticks and i mm-hmm. you know hopefully if someone's picking it up and they wanted more of something else you know, hopefully they still enjoy the fact that it's, you know, it's got, it's got jokes that, you know, I've enjoyed and, and, and plot, plot devices that I, I, I've enjoyed from other things. Mm-hmm. And you get to make stupid, uh, stupid jokes out of names for food and things like yeah. that. Well, um, I, well, I, yeah, that was one of the, one of my little comments was, um, I had another little laughing, mo- another little, I, it wasn't a full, it wasn't a full lull, but it was just a, it was ah. more than just a little one, but at Orkshire Pudding. I don't that yeah, one, Yorkshire pudding I, and gnome style gravy. Yeah, I was, I was particularly proud of that one. Yeah, that was really good. Um, but uh, and one thing I did want to um, sympathize with you on was that acronyms um, mm-hmm. are hard. I put acronyms are hard AF in my notes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because that's um, you don't you don't reveal what distress stands for in the book, and from other interviews I've read that you you've heard that you you can't you don't you don't know. Yeah, I'm not clever enough. I just, yeah. um, I, I misheard it. The name, this is, most of my books come from a name. Mm-hmm. You know, I come up with a title and then I build something around it. And I misheard someone say damsel from distress. And I was like, oh shit, you know, that'll be good. Yeah, and I had really to good. Google it, didn't exist. So I wrote the thing around it. And then I was, I was sitting there for ages. You know, I think we finished like two of the scripts. And I was like, what does it stand for? I was like, I don't know. I can't, I can get like half of it yeah but it would just be terrible so he sort of suggested you know well, why don't we just make a joke of it like you haven't mm-hmm. got the security clearance and you know we were going to have scenes where you know they're there and the plaque is behind mm-hmm. them on the wall type thing and people would always be obscuring it slightly or you know yeah. even at one point they were going to obscure the the dialogue balloons that that explained what it was yeah. but it's just just a running joke yeah. i'm just not smart enough to come up with it so i'll, yeah. I'll hide it with a joke no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've, I've always struggled in like different books. I've always tried to put in 
acronyms for things, especially like those spy kind of books like this. And mm. I've never done it until the most recent book I did. And I, it was, it's called Valkyrie and it has to do with like Valkyries. And so they work for this group called Odin. And I finally, right. I figured it out it was Operational Defense Intelligence Network. And that's the See, only acronym I've ever, I've tried the past, I don't know, five or se seven or eight years that I've been trying to make comics. I've never been able to make That must have felt work. so oh, good. Yes. Like, it, it must have been like awesome. Tetris where you put one mm -hmm. of the long blocks down. Exactly. The end, it? Yep. I was just like, okay, operational and like slowly worked through it. And then I got to the end and I was like, network. I was like, then I read it back to myself like three times. I was like, that makes sense. That, yeah. that's good and then Job i was done. like yep exactly i just helped put through my hands up and i'm done i'm gonna take a break for a while because i just I've, I've succeeded um so um the last question i want to ask we all um i try to end every um interview with just a bit, bit of a random question um that i pull from a list of get to know you questions that i found online um if you could have one uh guest to dinner uh celebrity or yeah, one celebrity guest to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? See, is this a dinner? The, the question is, is it, is it a dinner that I'm at and, and I'm the only one there? Or is it a guest that my wife has got to be entertained by as well? Because she hates mm. comics. So whereas I would say Stan Lee yeah. or, you know, Jack Kirby or someone mm -hmm. like that, um, I know she would just, she wouldn't be down for it. So I think I'd have to go with, um, oh gosh, I don't know. I think, I think I would say, um, do, you, do you know an actor called uh, David Jason? No. He's, he's, he's a UK actor anyway. He's, he's, he did a TV show in the UK called Only Fools and Horses. I think it's like one of the few ones that didn't get remade in the States, but um, it, it's, you know, beloved show in the UK. And this guy plays a character I'd just love to, I'd probably irritate him by getting him to do impressions <laughs> of. Yeah all the catchphrases and stuff but um yeah but given the choice you know it would have to be stanley or, yeah you know if we get stanley mm -hmm. and jack kirby together yeah if the I, if the ghosts of those two guys would uh would if make, they cooperate yes yeah. yeah yeah we i don't i don't know how that would play out but um that'd be a really interesting comic so once you do that um yeah. i don't know my i, I, I was gutted yeah I, I i was supposed to go and see stanley the year he mm -hmm. died he oh. was going to be at the kuwait comic-con mm -hmm. um which is you know far away for him but close to us yeah and i i flew over my son's middle name is stanley oh and wow. i flew over there and i was you know well, the only thing i took for him to sign was a photo of my kid in a spider-man t-shirt and uh yeah he didn't didn't make it because it yeah. wasn't the end of his um end of his illness mm -hmm. thing, so yeah oh, i was just surprised that he even signed up to go to kuwait because that's a long way for any 90 year old guy to go you know, no matter what shape he's in yeah, I think unfortunately, you know, there's rumors about who was yeah. looking after his best interests. I think yeah. the, the uh, someone's wallet was uh, dictating that mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. But he didn't make it anyway. Yeah. You, you, who would be your uh, your dinner guest? Um, I think, I mean, it probably, I think it would, this is a good balance between like um, create the creative side of me and also just the fan. Um, I'd probably be Donald Glover, I think. Or oh, Anthony really? Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain or Donald Glover. I don't know because Donald okay. Glover's hilarious and I love community. Donald Glover's going to be easier. Yeah, exactly. He's he's alive, yeah. so you know there's a more chance of that happening. Um, yeah, you know. I think you've got to go with a comedian though, haven't you? Really? Yeah, exactly. Thing. Like someone who's funny because you can get a few interesting stories. You mm -hmm. know, you could say, "Oh, I want to meet Oliver Reed," or yeah, you know, Oscar Wilde or something like that. But you, you want someone that's gonna you can have a good night with, don't you? Yeah, and then especially like if you know my family or my girlfriend's there. He, they'll be entertained yeah. too it's not just, like it's exactly. just for me 
So there, it's a little bit of best. Not just things. asking about comics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So um. With that, that's all I have for you, Andrew. Um. Where can we find you online? Um. I'm. I pretty much just do Twitter, uh, which is a terrible decision, I guess, because it's the worst place to be. Um. But th there, it's just my name is just Andrew Clemson on there. You can find me quite easily. Um. I I got Instagram and stuff, and I have a website. My website's clemsoncomics.com, but. I just don't update anything, mm -hmm. so yeah. which is terrible. It's a terrible thing to say, but like um, I just don't have the time. Yeah. So, um, but if you follow me on Kickstarter, I think that's a function that people I can do. So. And then when we launch stuff, it will, I guess, notify you. Um, so that's probably a good bet. If you search for Damsel from Distress on um, Kickstarter, you'll see my profile. Follow that when a new one goes up, um, and it, like I say. Bet Noir will be going up on Zoop as a sort of a trial mm -hmm. of that platform nice. to wrap up the first volume. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you said about social media because I, for Foreign Press, I'm trying to run a Twitter and an Instagram and I've started yeah. a TikTok as well. And it's oh, just, it's God. too much. I need, I want there to be, and there's not one online that I've found for free, an app that I can like do all of them at once and just yeah. like post like scheduled things out in advance but i can't i don't know i haven't it's figured just it out a yet. job it's a job uh, exactly. on its own isn't it just exactly. dealing with social media and i i just can't do it and i think for me as well it's this thing you've got to have the personality where you're like well mm -hmm. people want to know what i'm yeah. doing you know people yeah. want to see pictures of me yeah so i just you know at least on twitter it's just arguing with people <laughs> very easy past the time doing that yeah um but yeah, it's just, it's, I like, I've considered, I, was, I asked somebody, I was like, do you think it'd be bad for me to try to hire an unpaid intern? And they were like, yeah, don't do that. And I was like, okay, I won't do that. But I, I, I want to have someone just for that. It would be so much more help. But, well, yeah, you've got to have, I guess you need the revenue first, don't you? You've got yeah. to spin it up so that it pays for itself. Exactly. And once it gets to a point where I can do that, I can hire someone part time. Um, exactly. But yeah, as always, um, you know, people can find Foreign Press Comics at F Press Comics on Twitter, Foreign Press Comics on Instagram, and foreignpresscomics.com. And um, I don't know when this episode comes out, um, but um, I'm going to look it up real fast because I should know that. And <laughs> podcast schedule, Google, you can, I learned recently you can go oh, on Google Chrome, you can search for a document that's in your Google Drive and it'll pop up and it's been the most helpful thing in the world. Um, oh, February 25th. <laughs> so in the next like two or three weeks. Um, this will be, there'll be a, um, my new comic will be dropping on Foreign Press Comics and you can pre-order it and it's going to be a limited print run. So if you don't pre-order it, you're probably not going to be able to get a print copy of it for a while. So we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, um, that's all I have. Uh, thanks for coming on, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for keeping me entertained in my uh, quarantine. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. Take it easy.